Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Whoa. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. My name is Trevor, and I'm joined by Carolyn today. Hello. And today we have a special guest on the phone. We do, we do. We have Dr. Jed Goodfellow from the Australian Alliance for Animals. Can you hear us, Jed? Hi, Carolyn. Great to be with you. Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Thanks for that. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. Yeah, so Jed, you are. Um, would you be able to explain a bit about the the alliance that uh, you've newly cre- helped newly create for animals and what what they're doing at the moment? Yeah, so the the Australian Alliance for Animals is a new national charity that we've set up to lead, uh, as the name suggests, the strategic alliance of uh, different animal protection groups. Uh, with a, a goal of, uh, I guess, creating a more coordinated, unified um, sector, uh, but also to address some pretty fundamental policy and institutional barriers to further progress for animals in Australia. So we're, we've got a very focused uh, agenda on uh, changing the, the structure and the governance system for animal welfare policy in Australia. So we're looking at institutional and structural reforms uh, because these are reforms that uh, um, other organisations have pursued from time to time, but not in a coordinated and, and focused way. So we felt that uh, due to the importance of removing some of those barriers, which, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about later, uh, that we needed a, a new organisation to coordinate the sector on uh, to address um, those issues. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. And so... Oh, no, go ahead, Carolyn. I was just going to say, um, Jed, I really wanted to get a little bit from you actually about your background. So, you know, I understand that you're a co-founder of the Alliance and you actually um, lead the policy reform and government relations work. And I also understand that you've spent, you know, sort of 20 plus years in animal um, advocacy and the law can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became um, interested in this kind of work and sort of the path to sort of where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's been, a, as, as you said, it's been a, a, my entire career has been focused on animal advocacy and primarily law reform uh, and, and policy work. So I, I got involved very, very early on. My late teens, I, I started getting interested in animal protection, animal rights issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in Coffs Harbour on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, and I can remember um, going into the, the library there and getting Peter Singer's Animal Liberation, and um, after that, you know, reading reading that book, uh, it really sent me on the on the path to, to animal advocacy. I think that the philosophical right. elements sort of went straight over my head at that stage, but the yeah. it was just the very graphic depiction of all the different forms of animal exploitation that I think um, led me led me down the path of, of uh, advocacy. But, but at that time, there were very few sort of career opportunities um, available. So all, all I could see was working for the RSPCA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I started working as an inspector for the RSPCA in Queensland, um, so enforcing the Animal Care and Protection Act up there. And that gave me a real insight into some of the deficiencies in, in our animal welfare legislative regimes in terms of all the, the loopholes and the exemptions and the defences and so forth. Mm. Uh, so I, I felt I really wanted to go more into um, the, the law reform 
space. Um, and of course, you know, to, to, to understand those processes, uh, doing a law degree uh, was, was going to be mm. uh, a great pathway to doing that. So I, I did law. Um, I did a short uh, time as a prosecutor for the RSPCA uh, in South Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, th- that wasn't very... I mean, it was fulfilling in the sense that you were doing important work, but it was very reactive in nature. So you were dealing with the cruelty after it had occurred and you'd see the same sort of cases over and over again. Um, so I, I very much wanted to go more into the um, the policy law reform side of things. And that's when I started uh, a PhD at Macquarie University in animal welfare law and regulation and uh, started working for the National Office of the RSPCA doing political liaison law reform sort of work. So I did that for another 10 years before then leading to co-found the, the Alliance for Animals. And so that was more, I guess, you're saying like you wanted to be more on the preventative side rather than the reactive side of things. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yep. Yep. Wanted to be um, more creating the, I guess, the structures and the, and the laws that are going to uh, prevent, uh, the, or not just the cruelty uh, from occurring, but the, the but the really poor welfare standards from occurring that are mm-hmm. that are effectively enshrined in our legal system at the moment. Um, so it's uh, seeking to lift those standards significantly, um, but also create a more sort of democratic uh, animal welfare animal welfare governance uh, system in Australia. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Can we ask what were some of the issues um, in terms of sort of campaigns that really sort of piqued your interest? Like, you know, mm. often there are um, either specific incidents of, um, you know, abuse of animals or specific animals that, you yeah, know, we identify species. with. Are there yeah. particular campaigns that, you know, as you were, um, you know, starting this work really sort of resonated with you, Jed? Yeah, look, there wasn't one particular issue, but there were there were multiple things that occurred, sort of in my late teens, that I think had an impact on on me going into advocacy. I, I can recall uh, an RSPCA inspector coming into our school and uh, doing a presentation, and he had a folder full of horrible pictures of the animals that he had rescued, um, and that had an impact on me. And I can just remember thinking. It was also quite inspirational because he basically looked like a police officer. And back then, RSPCA New South Wales uh, inspectors uh, were, were classified as special constables and they were, were, were effectively police officers. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought that, that looked really cool. You know, having a uniform to, to and having powers to go and actually rescue animals from these situations. So that sort of had, had an impact on mm-hmm. me. Um, it was also I did work experience at the Coffs Harbour Zoo... <laughs> Oh wow! And uh, I saw some pretty poor practices there as well, and and I think that's where I realised I don't want to work, you know, just with animals. I want to work for them in terms mm, of representing yeah. them and, and advocating for them rather than just being around them and and uh, you know caring for them. Um, and uh, I also remember a an advertisement in a newspaper uh, by. They were then known as the World Society for the Protection of Animals, uh, now World Animal Protection, and it was on the bear bile farming. Uh, there was a picture of a bear inside one of the oh. cages, in, uh, and, and that also just really hit me and, and resonated with me uh, quite a lot. So it wasn't one particular thing. It was no. just multiple things, but I, I think I, I had a just a strong sense of justice and fairness generally, mm. um, and seeing animal abuse uh, really impacted me and uh, led me into, yeah, advocating for them. Can I, can I ask on that one? Because most people might not, some people might not have heard of that before, but what is the bear bile farming? Can you, mm. can you describe that a little bit? Oh, it's a, it's a practice, uh, hopefully not as common as what it was back then. I, I know World Animal Protection, Animals Asia, and a number of other organisations have been doing fantastic work to try to, to eliminate it um, in some parts of um, Asia. Uh, but it's where they effectively put bears inside just metal cages uh, and um, they extract bile um, from, I don't even know what organ it is, but, uh, but they, they um, have an opened wound, essentially, um, wow. where they um, just remove the, the bile from the, from the bear and it's used in different um, traditional medicines wow. um, in in certain Asian countries, so it's uh, yeah, incredibly cruel, of course, for, mm. for the bears. And um, 
but yeah, lots of organisations working on that particular issue. But um, yeah, it was just one of those unusual issues. Never had heard about it before, and then just to see it um, in all its graphic detail in a in a newspaper advertisement. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, really impacted me. Yeah, it gets your attention, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. I did want to ask you, um, Jed, about your um, teaching at Macquarie University is I understand that you developed an animal law unit and that you've taught that for many years. And, mm. you know, I think obviously with the background that you've described to us, um, your insights from your work experience, even at the Coffs Harbour Zoo, you know, your work with RSPCA, your legal um, background as well, you know, you sort of bring all of those things to to the fore. But what, what has it been like actually teaching animal law and what's the response of your students been? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my favourite things. Every year I teach uh, animal law during the summer semester at Macquarie University. and I, I started teaching it there when I started the PhD because uh, I did the PhD at Macquarie University as well. And um, my supervisor at the time just asked me, would, would you like to teach animal law? Um, so mm. I, of course, jumped at the chance to do that. And it's... Um, it's it's just awesome because you well we we get about a hundred or more more than a hundred students enrolling every year. Um, I would say the majority don't have a lot of sort of background in animal protection, so it's mm-hmm. very much the the content of the material is very very new to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go through all of the different animal ethical theories and perspectives. Uh, then we get into more of the the legal stuff in terms of both the, the regulation of uh, human-animal relationships through animal welfare laws. Uh, we look at some of the animal law cases as well that go before the courts. We look at um, uh, different activist um, sort of approaches and, and methods and what legal issues uh, arise out of those uh, different activities. Um, and I find, yeah, that every every year at, at the end of the course or sometimes years later I, I get emails from students basically saying that the course changed their life and uh, that, that now wow. they're either in animal advocacy or they've you know become vegan or they've um, it's 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 really had a personal effect on them so it's mm. um, yeah it's a very fulfilling part of my role and yeah I've been doing it now for over a decade and um, and Macquarie University is fantastic for continuing to support the the course as well, so um, yeah, it's, a, it's something that I'll, I'll hopefully continue doing for, for a long time to come. That sounds great. Yeah, that's wonderful because I think for many of us, there's often a person who introduces them to um, the whole world of, of animal um, rights issues that we may not have had, you know, much experience with or, or a depth of knowledge around. So. That must be very, very um, fulfilling and satisfying work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. And and I mean, in, yeah, in my past as well, there were certain individuals as well that had that kind of um, influence on, on my life. So if I'm having a similar influence on on other people's lives in that way, then it's um, yeah, super rewarding. Well, I wanted to ask um, to give people a bit of context. I mean, the this alliance is a fairly new alliance. And would you be able to speak to who's in the alliance? Because I'm sure people would have heard of a lot of the groups that are in the alliance and maybe sort of explain about how it came together and what were the stages in forming that and, and what input has been had from all those different groups. Yeah, yeah. So we've got six core members. Um, so Animals Australia, uh, World Animal Protection Australia, Humane Society International Australia, Voiceless, uh, Compassion in World Farming and Four Paws Australia. So we've got those six core groups. Um, mm. Some of those groups are big international organisations. Others are, are just Australian-focused groups. Um, but collectively, they have over 2 million uh, supporters on their databases within Australia. So that's wow. a massive body of people that uh, we can draw on in order to support uh, the, the, the campaigns and the, uh, the reform agenda that we have. Um, so I, I guess in terms of the, the genesis of the alliance, we, we really saw that there was a need for greater coordination within the Australian animal protection sector. We, we generally worked quite well together, but in an ad hoc way. Uh, there wasn't mm. a formal kind of mechanism for bringing the groups together to ensure that uh, we were taking this coordinated, unified approach to different issues. Um, and, and I'm sure you know many of your listeners can probably um, relate that 
we're just not seeing enough progress at the moment through uh, through government and, and through our laws and policies on animal welfare. There's a lot of community support for, for changing uh, many practices. You know, we see poll after poll and research survey after research survey that shows 80% plus Australians support banning battery cages or banning live exports or uh, recognising animal sentience or setting up an independent office of animal welfare, but we're not seeing that translated uh, through our systems of government. Uh, we're not seeing it translated into, into law and, and practice on, on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's two fundamental reasons for that. One is internal to, to our sector, which is that in, in the past, I, I don't think we've been coordinated enough in our approach to government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's very much all... all the, the fundamental basis for why the alliance was was set up, and it's and I should mention it's not just the six core members. So the, the six core members are officially the members of the alliance, and they they're intimately involved in the alliance and they fund the alliance. Uh, but we also coordinate a number of other groups on uh, specific animal issues. So for instance, ending live uh, sheep exports, we have a an end live sheep exports committee uh, that has about twelve or so groups that come along to regular meetings where we coordinate. Um, messages and advocacy mm. and, and actions mm. and so forth. So um, we, we try to um, uh, yeah coordinate and uh, get people working together as much as possible because, of course, the more coordinated our sector is, the more cut-through we have with government. Mm-hmm. Uh, political Influence 101 is that concentrated sectors have a lot more influence than diffuse sectors. Um, so that that was, I, I guess, the, the theory behind bringing bringing the organisations together, so that we have more more influence. And and also, uh, when we can combine our resources and combine our supporter bases, um, that just adds to our uh, political significance as well. So we're we're really trying to leverage what we see as our comparative advantage, which is the fact that we have broad scale community support for many of these reforms and to apply that community support to political pressure points so that politicians actually start listening rather than just ignoring uh, the community's views on, on these things. So we will engage in election campaigning uh, where we will target sort of marginal seats that are very sensitive to the likely incoming governments um, and a, a range of other uh, mechanisms that we'll use to, to essentially provide a conduit between the community's support and those the supporter base within our alliance uh, directly to those political pressure points um, to, to get further change. Uh, the, I, I guess the, the other key factor uh, for why we're not seeing more progress is the significant institutional barriers uh, that we have within government. And, and what I mean by that is the decisions by governments to delegate animal welfare policies and the standard setting functions to institutions that are fundamentally conflicted. So departments of agriculture and ministries for agriculture, they have effectively exclusive Mm. control over our nation's animal welfare decisions, our our animal welfare policies, our animal welfare standards. And uh, they're fundamentally conflicted. They have competing responsibilities. So Mm. as long as animal welfare is is within that policy um, framework, we're not going to see significant progress. So our core reform agenda is all about removing animal welfare from the agriculture frameworks and setting up more independent frameworks that are going to allow uh, the system to be much more democratic and inclusive of community views, much more science-based, and uh, and a framework that places greater weight on the on the interests of animals in those inevitable policy trade-offs that uh, that take place. Yeah. Fantastic. So that, yeah. So sorry, that was a long a long way of saying that that's that's. Uh, why the alliance was was um, established uh, was to address those those two issues: greater coordination within the sector and addressing the institutional barriers to, to change. Yeah. And that was about two years ago, was it? Yeah, we launched in March last year. So, and, oh, and the support from yeah. the members has just been absolutely amazing. Like the fact that we have uh, leaders and the boards of these different groups that are just looking at the the bigger picture. They're looking at the cause of animal protection. Uh, and they've provided nothing but support and endorsement for the concept of the alliance and uh, mm. for all of our initiatives and campaigns. So um, I, I think we've already seen some some great wins, but I think we're we're really on the path to to achieving some pretty um, some more fundamental change moving moving forward. Mm. Yeah, fantastic! Great to see that alliance has really um, you know 
taking up that role as conduit between, um, you know, public sentiment about um, animals and, and what people want to see in terms of animals being treated fairly and and government and, you know, keeping those, keeping that pressure up. Yeah. I think we might take a Song break. quick break before we come back and talk more about, um, you know, the reform agenda and lots of other exciting things. Yeah. So, Jed, what would be the first song that you wanted to play today? Well, I... I I think the first one on the agenda was it uh, Marvin Gaye heard it through the back grapevine. Yeah, we can uh, do that one. Yeah, awesome. Uh, this is just one of my favourite songs. I love 60s, 70s soul kind of music because um, it just, yeah, it just has a positive effect on my mindset. And I think that's really important for you know advocates and people working in this area because you need you need a, a bit of compartmentalisation. I think between y- your work and if you've had a had a you know, a, a bad day where you've lost, where you've mm. lost a debate or lost a policy or lost a bill or something. Um, being able to come home and just, you know, put on this this sort of music, this positive music, and just forget about it all for a little while and recharge. Yeah, That's, uh, yeah, yeah. this yeah. sort of music does it for me. Very, nice. very good, very good. It's classic. Workers Federation took part in the longest boycott in Australian history after Finochet took over in Chile. A democratically elected government was overthrown with the help of the United States. 
there are many Chileans in Australia who suffered torture, imprisonment and whose family members have been disappeared. We can't move forward as a society without healing these past crimes. The Chilean community, in partnership with the AMWU's International Solidarity Initiative, is holding a commemorative event for the 50th anniversary of Chile's coup, September 11, the day that changed us forever. Join generations of Chilean refugees, exiles and recent arrivals, together with Australian unionists and activists in the Solidarity Movement, for a night of testimonies, speakers, poetry and music. On Monday, September 11, from 6pm at Solidarity Hall at the Victorian Trades Hall, this event will be held in English and all are welcome. To register, search for Chile 50 Years on eventbrite.com.au. Chile, 50 years of solidarity and struggle. A 3CR supporter. It's coming up to Science Week again and that can only mean one thing. Yes, it's the Lost in Science Trivia Night. Monday the 14th of August, 7pm at the Carring Bush Hotel in Abbotsford. Come early for dinner, bring a team, win prizes, show off your brains and raise money for science on the radio. Send an email to book your table to lostinsci at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-I-N-S-C-I at gmail.com and we will sort you out for tickets. Lost in Science Trivia Night, Monday the 14th of August. Remember to tune in each Thursday at 8.30am for all your sciencey goodness. Welcome back to Freedom of Species and... You heard before that break, Marvin Gaye with I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which was Jed's first song choice. And are you still with us, Jed, on the phone? I am, yes, Trip. Fantastic. 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 So, Jed, can you talk through some of the um, sort of key priorities for the Alliance at the moment, the things that you're, you're working on? Yeah, so, so our main priority is um, we call it the Fair Go for Animals uh, reform framework. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our, our primary campaign. And the, I guess the, the key objective of that campaign, as I uh, mentioned earlier, is really to remove animal welfare from uh, the, the agriculture policy framework, so from departments of agriculture and ministries for agriculture, and to set up more independent uh, systems for animal welfare governance and policy and standards development. So in terms of some of the specific reforms, we're, we're looking at... Um, uh, ministerial recognition of animal welfare, so having animal mm-hmm. welfare um, out of the agriculture ministry in another ministry, um, we're, we're not, you know, expecting a dedicated minister for animal welfare, but uh, but to have animal welfare at least uh, referenced in the title of a ministry that falls outside of agriculture uh, mm. would be a significant um, improvement, so that we would have uh, less of those conflicting and competing responsibilities coming to the fore there. Um, we'd like to see the establishment of a National Animal Welfare Commission. So this was uh, recommended by the Australian Productivity Commission a number of years ago. Um, and and the, the idea behind that body would be that it would lead the development of our national animal welfare standards. So instead of that falling to one or more of the state or territory departments of agriculture, it would be the National Animal Welfare Commission that would lead um, that process in conjunction with the states and territories. And again, the idea behind that is to ensure that it's more independent, uh, to ensure animal welfare science is given greater say and and to ensure that it's more inclusive of the community's views rather than those views being dismissed by departments of of agriculture. uh, we'd also like to see equivalent bodies at the state level, so state animal welfare authorities, to take over the administration of animal welfare legislation, um, mm-hmm. again, to, to remove those conflicts with state departments of agriculture and primary industries. Um, and, uh, and finally, we'd like to see um, sort of high-level decision-making uh, principles built into state and territory animal welfare acts as well uh, so that we can build more consistency into our approach to uh, animal welfare regulation. Uh, so, and that would include things like recognising the fact that animals are sentient beings, mm-hmm. um, and certain principles around um, avoiding harm 
uh, to, to animals, essentially. So respecting their sentience via adopting standards that will uh, protect uh, the welfare of animals and ensuring that the industry-based codes of practice and standards and guidelines that are developed um, under the State and Territory Animal Welfare Acts are actually consistent with the duties of care and the, and the uh, prohibitions on cruelty that are outlined in the, in the principal legislation. So at the moment, we have a very two-tiered system. We, we have um, you know, decent protections for companion animals or animals that aren't used in the commercial context, but then we have a whole new set of standards mm. that are much, much lower for animals that we use in different commercial industries. And, and uh, that, that's, that's really inconsistent um, and, and incoherent from a legislative perspective as well, that uh, we have uh, double standards when it comes to the treatment of different, different animals in different contexts, even though they're all equally sentient. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to ask because a couple of those aims that you mentioned talked about independence from the government, like an independent body sort of having a bit more power or oversight into those sort of issues. Mm. I'm... I'm interested to hear your response because I can imagine maybe some people, especially if they're not as involved in animal issues, might think, well, is that a role for the RSPCA or why Why do we need another organisation? Like, shouldn't the RSPCA be that? And I'm, especially since you've worked with them, I'm, I'm just interested to know if, yeah, you could sort of maybe articulate what it would do different that the RSPCA doesn't do. Yeah, so there's, there's two elements to this. There's, there's the standard setting and policy development function. Uh, and then there's the enforcement function as well. So mm-hmm. for the standard setting policy development function, that, that really needs to be an entity of the, the government because they're effectively creating law. So, so of course, mm-hmm. that should be the undertaking of, of government. What we're saying is uh, that it shouldn't be departments of agriculture. It should be an independent government entity, such as a National Commission for Animal Welfare or an independent Office of Animal Welfare is, is often also the, the term that can be used as well. Yeah. Or the new um, ministry that do... you provided as an option as well, like or, or rolling into another ministry that's separate to agriculture. Yeah, that would be a, another complementary feature of the, the, the reform, um, overall reform agenda. So, so a National Commission or an independent Office of Animal Welfare would then report to that um, that particular minister uh, that has carriage of, of animal welfare responsibilities as opposed to the Minister for Agriculture. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the enforcement side of things, um, so that, that would, so we, we do have state animal welfare authorities within our reform agenda, um, and they would be responsible for administering state and territory animal welfare laws. That doesn't mean that that would be in substitution to what the RSPCA is currently doing with their inspectors. So you would still have inspectors appointed from a range of different organisations. I mean, our, our view is the more boots on the ground protecting animals, the better. So if you have uh, RSPCA inspectors, you also have inspectors from other government agencies. Um, they would then be reporting to the State Animal Welfare Authority and that State Animal Welfare Authority could provide a much more consistent approach to the, the training, the quality assurance for inspectors coming from a range of different organisations because at the moment it's a little bit um, all over the place. So, so you'll have multiple agencies. There won't be one key body uh, that, that oversees uh, the entire administration of, of the Act. Um, and there's not a lot of, of uh, cross-agency um, collaboration or not, not enough of it. Um, and that's where we see a role for a state animal welfare authority providing that sort of um, coordination again and, uh, and consistency in the approach to administering the, the state legislation. So there would still be a role for RSPCA, long story short, um, uh, but it would be answering to a state animal welfare authority as opposed to a state department of agriculture. As, mm-hmm. as is currently the, part of the, uh, the arrangement. Right, so it's almost mm-hmm. like a, an intermediate sort of step to what you've currently got, um, or, or not like an intermediate step, but just to try and sort of talk in really simple language, rather than, as you say, RSPCA reporting to an agriculture minister, there would be some other body that is more about animal welfare rather than about agriculture, and they would have to report to them. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And that would have to be done at a state level? It wouldn't be a federal level, you're, you're saying? For, 
For the enforcement, that would be at a state level because under our constitution, it's the states and territories that have the main role in the regulation of animal welfare laws. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the Commonwealth government, the federal government, will still have a, a limited role in uh, regulating live animal exports, for instance, because it involves mm-hmm. international trade. Uh, but it's uh, the states and territories that regulate uh, the, the majority of, of animal welfare standards in the in the country. So yes, that that particular reform would be at a at a state level. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'd still like to see a national commission for animal welfare to coordinate the states and territories in the development of the national uh, policies and the national standards um, that are that are then regulated and adopted at a state level. It's it's it is quite complex, but. Uh, uh, such as our our federated system of government, it, it doesn't make things easy. But, um, but yeah, we've got to take a state and a federal approach in a coordinated way. Yeah, I was going to say, is that sort of to try and save having to do the same thing seven times over just at a state level? Like trying to have some federal input to help sort of kick it off that all the states are doing the same thing? Or is that... Yeah, that's right. Right. So, so to, to, to promote national consistency, because you, you don't want you know, different standards applying in different states. Um, yeah. and, and even animal industries don't want that because if they're operating across state borders, they don't want to have mm. different yeah. laws to have to comply with. Yeah. Um, so that that is already sort of part of the, the national framework. So state and territory governments all acknowledge that that's, that's a positive, that they all want national consistency. But at the moment, we're, we're just not getting national consistency because we don't have the national leadership and the national coordination. So different states are still doing their own thing. Uh, the national poultry standards, I don't know if you've been following that, but that was a classic example where um, in, the, in the final national standards for the welfare of poultry that governs everything from egg-laying hens to, to chickens used for meat to emus and ostriches and whole range of different poultry species, uh, those standards had a really prescriptive timeline for phasing out battery cages uh, mm-hmm. built into them. All of the state and territory governments endorsed the standards, but then they couldn't agree to a nationally consistent time frame for phasing out battery cages. So it's being left up to each individual state and territory to decide how long it will take them to phase out battery cages, which oh, just right. completely undermines the entire national process and the, and the whole purpose for creating a national standard so it's a yeah we, we still need stronger national institutions to, to try and avoid that outcome yeah that's yeah that makes a bit of sense doing mm. it from that approach as well and that's i'm i'm hoping that also for listeners that might not be super legally minded or politically minded that can sort of put a bit of context to what you're talking about and mm. and you know what what are the what are the steps that you're hoping will happen maybe in the near future to try and get some real-world outcomes? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, Jed, could we just go back to you You sort of mentioned in terms of um, public support that, um, you know, 80% of Australians believe that they should have a um, say or some, you know, some input on animal welfare policy decisions can you talk a little bit about some of the findings from the Australian Animal Welfare Survey, what people's perception about um, animals, animal sentience, and I guess, you know, the current ways animals are treated? Um, yeah, are. well, yeah, we, we um, in order to, I guess, provide some support for our reform agenda, we, we commissioned Behaviour Works Australia, um, which is based out of Monash University, to conduct a national survey of Australian beliefs and attitudes around animal welfare policy. And that is mm-hmm. the way animal welfare policies are developed, who's in charge, who makes the final decision, what factors are considered, so those sort of things. Because we've got a lot of data that shows that uh, current standards do not meet community expectations, but mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of data that shows that the processes for creating those standards don't meet community expectations. And we thought that was a really important piece of work to do um, Mm. to to support the kind of reforms that we're looking at. So we were really pleased to see the results. I mean, we we weren't overly surprised because we we knew Mm. Australians really supported stronger animal welfare standards, um, but it was very pleasing to see. Um, So over 80% of Australians support... Um, an independent and impartial authority making the sort of final decision on on major animal welfare policy issues. Um, and when we asked them about what particular entity should be making those decisions, um, 67% said 
said an independent office of animal welfare, whereas only 22% said departments of agriculture. Um, so, again, mm. you see that significant gap between what the current arrangements are and what the community expects. And, uh, and then in terms of the factors that should be considered in, um, in making these policy decisions, uh, 80% of Australians felt that the impacts upon animals should be the primary consideration, and only 12% thought that the impacts upon business and industry should be the primary consideration. So that was also quite telling. Yeah, that's interesting. In current practice, that doesn't happen. It's the economic impacts that are front and centre of the, the processes. Mm. Uh, and, and finally, on you know who should be involved in the process um, and who should have the most say, uh, the community... Uh, certainly felt that animal welfare groups and animal welfare researchers should have the, the most say and were the most trusted groups in those animal welfare policy development processes. And uh, retailers, political parties and industry groups were seen to have the lowest, lowest levels of, of trust um, uh, in those processes. So, again, um, it was really interesting to contrast what the community's views were with the current practice uh, because the, it, it's basically the polar opposite. So we're mm. taking that data now to state and territory governments to say, look, current processes don't meet community expectations and we, we need to see some reforms here to uh, to make it more inclusive of community views. Yeah. Mm, well, I think that's a really interesting topic because it's something that I've seen even in advocacy for the last five or six years is, um, I'm not sure you might even be aware, but like the Sentience Institute in America had a survey that had similar sort of results showing that people people's attitudes are not aligning with what the current laws are and they're expecting better or they think it's better than it is. Um, like I know that some of the ones even from five years ago was that, you know, 75% of US adults said that where they bought their animal products was from where animals are treated humanely. And, you know, you had that... You know, 58% of adults think that most farmed animals are treated well, and even 49% of US adults support a ban on factory farming, and 47% actually support a ban on slaughterhouses. Mm. So it just sort of shows, I guess, maybe for people who are in the animal advocacy space, they'll be thinking, these numbers don't add up, because, mm. you know, if you, if you support a ban on slaughterhouses or a ban on factory farming, yet that's where over 90% of the animal products come from. Mm. How is that yep. making sense? And are you seeing similar things in a... Because that was a US-based survey, mm. but for an Australian-based survey, are you seeing similar sort of, I guess, inconsistencies with the public's yep. view and, and what reality is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, other other questions in, in the survey was um, that 86.5% that of people felt that uh, the law should provide for good standards of welfare for all sentient animals. And, and of mm -hmm. course, you know, when you consider good welfare um, that's 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 a, a mile away from the current uh, minimum regulatory benchmarks that are provided for most uh, farmed animals um, in Australia mm. uh, so there's certainly that gap exists in Australia as well and it's that gap that provides the biggest opportunity I think for the animal protection sector because there's there's so much ground that can be made up there in terms of providing more meaningful protections for animals that are all, that's already supported by the community mm. um, so we, we mm. often frame our advocacy in the form of uh, democratic principles. Uh, this is this is a much the way current animal welfare standards are, are governed is uh, as much uh, an offence to democratic principles as, as it is to, to animal welfare and animal rights principles, uh, in a way, because the community's views here are, are not finding expression uh, through our uh, systems of, of government. Um, mm. So when we go to politicians, they might not be very sympathetic to animal welfare and rights-based um, arguments, but they generally are sympathetic to um, democratic principles, or they certainly should be, and they're the principles that we can draw on to, to um, reinforce and to supplement um, the, the animal welfare and animal rights-based arguments as well. So you sort of mean, in simple language, reflecting the voter views, or more mm. accurately reflecting the majority of the voter views, is, a, is an important consideration for politicians and governments, more so maybe than what the actual animal rights issues are, and that can be an angle to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it can often be more persuasive, certainly for those who, who just don't have a lot of interest in animal protection issues um, in mm. and of themselves. Yeah, mm. yeah it's really interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, Jed, can you tell us some about some of your other, um, I guess, ambitions and work within the Alliance, what the Alliance is sort of really um, focusing on in terms of, you know, reforming animal, animal welfare standards? 
what what else is sort of happening um, as key priorities in that space? Yeah, so so in addition to the Fair Go for Animals campaign, uh, which is our our sort of core business, mm. uh, we also we've got four particular uh, goals that are animal issues specific. So ending live sheep exports. Of course, mm-hmm. there's a lot of work in that space right now with the current government uh, in the process of phasing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, ending battery cages for egg-laying hens. It's been something that uh, myself and uh, co-founder and director, Dr. Peter Jones, has been working on for, for literally decades. Mm. Uh, so seeing that through, uh, we've had the national standards endorsed, but we now need to see them implemented and, and see battery cages actually phased out in practice. Uh, ending the practice of mulesing of sheep, um, so removing um, folds of skin from the back end of sheep, um, just using modified shears in a, a very painful practice, so so ending that practice. And also improving, um, significantly improving standards for chickens used for, for meat because um, I think of all farmed animals, they probably get the, the worst treatment. Um, they're, they're effectively bred to suffer by virtue of their fast growth rates yeah. Um, so introducing reforms there to um, to prevent some of the you know the, the worst suffering that those animals um, experience is is another um, uh, priority for for us over the next uh, three years. So um, and we've chosen those four particular issues because they are very much related to um, the the deficiencies within the broader governance um, system. So that so we can link it to our core reform agenda as well. Mm. Um, plus, in-house at the Alliance, we just have a lot of uh, in-house capacity there because we um, we have uh, been working on those issues individually uh, through um, the RSPCA for, for many years as well. So mm. um, there's just a good opportunity to, to achieve major reforms on all four of those issues. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, we might take another quick song break. Um Jed, what was the second track that you chose for today? Well, I believe this one is "Use Me" by Bill Withers. So, similar similar genre to, to the Marvin Gaye song. Just that, yeah, same same reasons. I just yeah love love this sort of uh, 60s, 70s um, soul music. So another classic, fantastic. Class people, uh, 
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. Wondering how to pay your donation to 3CR Radiothon? It's easy. You can pay online at 3cr.org.au or call us any weekday with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash or card. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned. Stay radical. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. Before the break, you heard Bill Withers with the track Use Me. And we've been speaking to Jed, this show, from the Australian Alliance for Animals. And I hope you're still on the phone with us, Jed. I am, Trev. Fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. We only have a few moments left, um, Jed, and we have so enjoyed speaking with you. But I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, something that has just come up, I believe, the um, Senate inquiry, uh, the sorry, Senate inquiry that was announced um, for the Inspector General of the Animal Welfare Bill. Help us make sense of that, Jed. What, what's this about? <laughs> yeah, look, this is a last-minute Senate inquiry. We got notified mm. about this mid last week, or sorry, mid this week, and the hearing is on Monday. So, right, <laughs> we'll wow. be doing a little bit of work today, just preparing an opening statement and. Yeah, it was a so this is a bill that um, the the Labor Party committed to during the election, um, mm-hmm. and okay. again through through engagement that we had with them, um, they they said okay we we'll, we will set up an independent inspector general for animal welfare, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that that's positive. But the current model that they've proposed in the bill is a really limited model that it only relates to live animal exports. So we would like to see the bill expanded to include other areas of Commonwealth responsibility for animal welfare. So that's what we'll be advocating for at the Senate inquiry on, on Monday. And uh, and that, that's a public hearing as well. So people, mm. if you log on to the Australian Parliament website, you can see the live hearings. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll what, what time on Monday will it be? Uh, 8.30 we're on, 8.30 in the morning. So, yeah, 8.30 till 9.30, I believe we're on. But then there's other uh, interest groups uh, coming along after after us as well. So, um, yeah, so it it is positive to see the government, you know, creating new and more independent structures for some animal welfare Mm. matters, um, but they need to go further and they need to do more. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... I just want to quickly ask, if people want to learn more about the Alliance or want to get involved in any way or to support your work, what, mm. what do you recommend that they do? 
Well, the, the, the best thing would be to go to the Fair Go for Animals website. So that's just fairgoforanimals.org.au. And, uh, and if you support um, the reform agenda, uh, you've got an option there to, to endorse that agenda. And then if you're interested in, in our work, uh, you can sign up uh, to our uh, mailing list and you can get updates on everything we're doing. Uh, and, of course, you know you can, you can donate uh, to, to help our work as well if you think this is a really important area of of, uh, of advocacy, um, we would really appreciate that as well. But uh, becoming sort of politically active, using your voice um, when we have different initiatives and campaigns going on—that's that's really what the the broader alliance um, needs, and uh, that's what animals um, really need at the end of the day as well. That political advocacy. Mm, yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Well, Jed, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for yeah. all of your work for animals. And uh, we'd love to speak with you again at another time. Yeah. Um, but, but thanks so much for meeting with us today. It's been fantastic to hear more about you and more about what the um, Australian Alliance for Animals is working on. Absolute pleasure, Caroline and Trev. Really nice to chat with you and uh, look forward to chatting again sometime soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks very Jed. much. Bye. Just a very quick shout out about next week's show. We are so thrilled that we have renowned um, conservationist Lec Chalet on the show ahead of yeah. her tour of Australia and New Zealand with her new documentary, Elephant Mother, which is going to be really sensational. So I think it's back to you, Trev. What's so the last song? <laughs> the last song of Jed's is Stevie Wonder, which is Master Blaster Jam. Oh, classic. And classic. Um, stick around after this. Rotations is coming up next.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.